Welcome to the Sliders and Curveballs podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm here with my son, Joseph. Together, we are learning sports one game at a time. In 1971, the year my dad was born, there were 2,863 home runs hit in Major League Baseball. Today, it's common to see well over 6,000 dingers in a year. Please welcome to the Sliders and Curveballs podcast, the national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal, Jared Diamond. Plus, after our conversation, Joseph and I will pick our Pitch Us a Question mailbag winner. Enjoy. Well, we're excited to kick off a Major League Baseball's postseason preview with you. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jared, and thanks so much. We're looking forward to previewing Swing Kings as well. Sounds great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is a very exciting time of the year as we head into the stretch run of the regular season and the postseason's right around the corner. Absolutely. Do you mind if I go first, uh, Joseph? You say hi, too. Hey, Jared. Yeah, Dad, I don't mind. <laughs> hi. It's great to talk to you guys. You, too. All right, uh, Jared. Um, the name of the book is Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. What made you decide to research the home run revolution and how much has changed has it changed the game that we watched today versus years ago? Yeah, the the book started actually as a story that appeared in the Wall Street Journal, you know, my day job, my my normal job working at the Wall Street Journal. And it really began way back uh, in 2016 was when I really became interested in this topic. And, and it was when I started seeing uh, some of the real incredible turnarounds from players who were essentially on the scrap heap, guys that were nearly out of baseball, who resurrected their careers. And these are names that are now household names. Josh Donaldson, uh, J.D. Martinez, who's on the cover of the book, Justin Turner, some of the best players in the game. All of these guys were nearly out of baseball at one point. They were cut. They were uh, sort of left uh, relegated to sort of the edges of the industry, the fringes of the industry. And they made these incredible comebacks. And the way they did it, I came to learn from reading other people's articles about it, was they all worked with these outside hitting instructors, guys who never played professional baseball themselves. And it completely piqued my curiosity as a journalist because I hear that a major league player learned that much from someone who never played or coached in professional baseball. It sort of makes you rethink everything because it's so odd. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, If there were better hitting coaches than the hitting coaches in major league baseball, why aren't those guys the major league hitting coaches? So my article on this topic ran in spring training in 2017, uh, about a year after I first became interested in the topic. And it mushroomed from there. After I wrote the story, it was immediately clear there was much more to tell uh, on this topic, and it became uh, ultimately an entire book. And I really view the book as being about an industry that's in change. Baseball today 
looks so little like the baseball that I grew up with or you grew up with. And the way batters swing the bat is a huge part of why that is. It's really fascinating. Uh, I'd love to get into a little bit about some of the things you learned. And this is a good segue into Joseph's first question. Go ahead and hit him with us, Joe. I love watching Jamie Martinez, Aaron Judge, and Justin Turner. They hit bombs. What did you learn about each player? It's funny. They all came to the same realization uh, with the help of different people, which is the swings that they had been taught for their entire lives, even in professional baseball, uh, was a swing path that was down or level. Uh, They heard from coaches, maybe your Little League coaches have told you this before, that you want to hit the top of the ball, that you want to swing down on the ball. And suddenly they got connected with people who had a different perspective who told them all of that is wrong. Actually, what you want to do is you want to swing up. You want to get under the ball. You want to hit the ball in the air. Uh, And that lesson, get the ball in the air, swing with a slight uppercut, keep the ball off the ground at all costs, resulted in enormous swing changes, complete wholesale swing changes that turned them into new players. And if you watch clips of J.D. Martinez with Houston back when he was just coming up, and then you watch the swing he has now with Boston and before that Detroit, uh, it's very clear to the naked eye that he completely changed the swing from the ground up. Uh, But if we're going to distill what that is, it's he learned to hit the ball in the air. And that's what all of those guys learned. And it's it's changed their careers and it's changed the game. It's unbelievable. How did you discover the colorful and strange outsiders that influenced terms like launch angle and exit velocity? uh, velocity? Can you share a wild story or two? Uh, I I actually read that you personally trained with some of them, didn't you, for a New York-Boston media game at Yankee Stadium? I did. Yeah, I had a chance to to train with all of these guys. So my first encounter with this was actually back in 2015. Uh, I was in Cincinnati at the All-Star Game. Uh, and I was at the Home Run Derby for work, uh, covering that. And Josh Donaldson, uh, who at the time was really having a huge breakout season with Toronto, he would go on to win AL MVP that year, uh, was in the Home Run Derby. And, you know, the Home Run Derby, everyone brings their own pitchers. And usually people bring, you know, their dad or their high school coach or someone they have some personal connection with to be their batting practice pitcher. Well, Josh Donaldson chose this guy by the name of Bobby Tewksbury, who I had never heard of. And as far as I could tell, nobody uh, had ever heard of. So Josh Donaldson was asked at the Home Run Derby, who is this guy? And he said he... He's my hitting coach. He he worked with me. I worked with him in the offseason. He sort of taught me some things about the swing. Well, Bobby Tewksbury uh, never played my, even minor league baseball, let alone major league baseball. He's just a guy in New Hampshire that was a college baseball player, played a little a little bit in the independent leagues, who suddenly was working with Josh Johnson, helping him change his swing. So I was just so shocked by this. Well, I had to get to know Bobby and understand how he got connected with Josh. Uh, and ultimately, J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner, as time went on, had the exact same story. Uh, but they weren't working with Bobby Tewksbury. They were working with different people, with Craig Wallenbrock, 
And Doug Latta, again, similar story. Guys that never played baseball at a high level and yet had a chance to work with these guys. So uh, being the journalist that I am, I went and got to meet all these people, spent a lot of time with them. And as I was working on the book, I realized, hey, uh, I, I have to try to, if I'm going to explain what these guys are teaching, I should probably get taught by them myself. And you know, again, I'm very fortunate. There's an annual Yankees, uh, sorry, New York versus Boston media baseball game. It's a home and home, one at Yankee Stadium, one at Fenway Park. It's a long tradition it's been going on since well before I was even alive. And I knew I had this game coming up, so I told all these coaches, hey, uh, I need some help. And it became a really fun part of the book, being able to describe uh, in first person what it was really like to get to go hit with guys that worked with these great major leaguers. I did not see quite the success turnaround that, say, J.D. Martinez (laughs) did, but I'd like to think I got a little bit better. Well, that's amazing. Uh, the the gentlemen that you've mentioned now are they are they working with many players? Are they have they been grabbed up by teams? Sort of a little bit of both. Uh, Craig Wallenbrock, he's sort of who I consider the the godfather of all of this. He's in his seventies. He's been quietly teaching players this kind of swing for decades. Very under the radar that anyone knowing worked with. Great, great players, guys like Chase Utley and Ryan Braun and Paul Canerco and many others, yet nobody knew about it because it was uh, it was something that you really couldn't talk about back then. It was so everyone had to sort of do this in secret. Well, Craig Wallenbrock now works for the Dodgers. Uh, they essentially their whole minor league hitting program is essentially uh, with through Craig's model. The Dodgers' major league hitting coach, Robert Van Skoyak, is Craig Wallenbrock's disciple and was in the cage with Craig and J.D. Martinez uh, when they were going and making all the big changes. He's now the Dodgers' major league hitting coach. Robert Van Skoyak played junior college baseball, and that's it. Never played beyond that. He's now the hitting coach of you know the best offensive team in major league baseball, the defending world champs. It's it's incredible. Unbelievable. Uh, so many of these guys. So they have some rings last year to prove it. <laughs> exactly. Craig Wallenbrock got his ring after all these years. And many of these guys now work for teams. Some are still doing it independently and still working with guys. Uh, it's you know a little bit easier to talk about now. Players are a little bit more able to say, hey, I'm going to work with this outside guy. More and more in professional baseball, we're seeing and I this this understanding that just because you weren't a superstar player yourself doesn't mean you can't be a great coach. And more and more teams are hiring people that never would have been hired for these kind of jobs in the past. Uh, guys that have unconventional backgrounds. And ultimately, I, th- I think that's good for the industry and for the game. Well, how cool. I mean, I've, we do a lot of podcasts on basketball as well. And we know a lot of basketball players have shooting coaches and free throw coaches outside of the organization that they work with during the summer. Um, and some of them just make tremendous impacts on their mentality on, and how they play. Absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 makes, it makes a big difference. And it kind of surprised me uh, a little bit because I, I think I had this notion before working on the book that when you got to the major leagues, that was pretty much it. You were what you were. There was not really room for a major leaguer to change 
that much. Uh, and seeing some of these guys completely change their careers at the major league level, it really opened my eyes. And it made me realize that you're never, it's never too late. It's never too late to improve. It's never too late to grow. It's never too late to change. Because if J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner could do it partway through major league careers, uh, who's to say anyone can't, they can't grow and change and improve sort of later than you would expect? Well, that's really cool. We can't wait to dig into the book, the book a little bit further. Joseph, why don't you fire off your second question? What's your job like weekly writing for the Wall Street Journal, and how did you choose a sports career? It's a dream. I get to do what I love every single day, which is be around baseball, which is what I love most uh, in the world. I get to spend my days around baseball players, or at least I did before the pandemic. It's a little different now. Uh, and getting to immerse myself in this game and be part of this industry. It, it's it's an incredible thrill to write about the, the sport, the thing that I love. And I've known this is what I wanted to do for as long as I remember. This was always this is my dream job. It was very clear to me early on. I probably wasn't going to be a major league baseball player. I was a, I would describe myself as a so-so high school baseball player. Uh, that's about it. Uh, so it was very clear or very early on when I was around your age that I was not going to be playing center field in a major league ballpark. And I had to figure out another way to be around the game. And I always loved writing. Uh, I was always fascinated by the guys I read in the newspaper, the people I saw on television who this was their job. I don't think I knew at the time that this was a job, but as I found it out, I was so enamored with the idea that I could make my living in and around baseball. And I worked hard to get to this place. I've now been covering Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal for nine years. This is my ninth season covering baseball and i'm going to be uh be at, in a couple of weeks be at the world series for the seventh straight year uh you know as we get into next month here oh wow that is so cool I and mean, how many parks do you visit do you visit a year are you are you often on the road well during the pandemic i've basically not traveled at all uh but in a normal year i mean i spent three years covering the mets every single day as their beat, uh, beat writer covering them. And I spent a year covering the game as a Yankee beat writer as well. So I've been to every major league stadium uh, many, many, many times at this point uh, over the years. Um, last year during the world series, I got the opportunity to go to the new ballpark in Texas. So I'm back up to 30 out of 30. Uh, but yeah, when, especially when I was on the beat, you know, I would be at, you know, every single, not every ballpark, but in a year, but most of them in a given season. And and even now I'll be traveling a bunch during the postseason. It'll be nice to get back on the road after, you know, really for the last two seasons, I've done very, very little traveling uh, because of the pandemic. So I'm really looking forward to getting back out there this month. That's that's the fun part. It's, it's being at the ballpark and, and being around the players and the people who work who do, do all these amazing things we see on the field. Well, that's awesome. Uh, it is a dream job. I love your articles. And what would you think about that, Joseph, uh, being able to go to the ballpark every day and get paid to, to, to watch sports? That sounds cool. <laughs> 
It's very Let me ask cool. you this, it's, Jared. It's, I don't take it for granted. Absolutely. You're blessed. Um, here come some hard-hitting questions. Which ball clubs battling for wild cards and home field advantage are vulnerable as we head towards October, in your opinion? Well, I think the National League is pretty much uh, wrapped up. I don't, I don't think anyone is catching St. Louis. As, as we record, as we sit here right now, St. Louis is on a 13-game winning streak and is winning 6-2 to two, uh, in their game. They'll send them to the 14th straight win. So I think the National League situation is wrapped up. It's really the American League. It's Look, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I honestly, all year long, I really did not believe Boston was going to hang on. Uh, I thought their pitching would not hold up, that they would fade. I was I sort of felt more confident of that after the trade deadline when Kyan Bloom and his team didn't really do much, uh, didn't do anything of note really outside of Kyle Schwarber, didn't do anything to address the pitching. I sort of took that as perhaps an indication that the Boston Red Sox front office didn't really believe in this team sort of being ready. But yet here we are, and they have the first wild card with like only a week and a little bit to go so maybe i'll end up being being wrong we'll, we'll find out i think it's gonna it's a really fascinating really four team race uh now with seattle uh kind of climbs back into it uh this weekend is probably gonna make a big difference in deciding as the yankees and red sox play three and then the yankees play the blue jays right after that so check in again on like wednesday or thursday of next week and i think things will be a lot different Yeah, for our listeners, we're recording this on Friday night at about 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, when we pressed record, the Red Sox, our beloved Red Sox, were losing 7 to nothing in the third inning. Um, and this is a series that the Red Sox could bury the Yankees and knock them out of the playoffs. So I hope, you know, they're not going to give them any life here, but we shall see. I'm fascinated with the fact that... Uh, you know, they're, they've had so many wins this year. I, I thought that they might fade a little bit too, but they've uh, they've uh, put things together and have been, have been playing hard. Especially with Kiki on the team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Hey. All right, Joseph, this is a uh, nice question for you. The Shohei Otani versus Vlad Guerrero no, Jr. competition has yeah, been they, fun they, they think they've overachieved. Watch. This has definitely been a... A season that I think they will look back on fondly. Absolutely. Joe, go ahead and hit your question again. The Shohei Otani versus Vlad Guerrero Jr. competition has been fun to watch. What are your thoughts on each player and who who will who wins the American League MVP? Huh. Did you get that yeah, question, Yeah, great Jared? question. Uh, I don't personally have a vote. I do not vote for awards. The Wall Street Journal does not allow us to vote for awards. But if I – yeah, do you not hear me anymore? Yeah, no, we still got you. Do you hear me? 
Yeah, we can oh, still okay. hear you. Yeah, that was weird. Do you hear me now? We're good? Yep. We're still good. Cool. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like we were on some delay or something. Okay. Anyway, to answer your yeah, question. Yeah, I did feel like we were on a team with a bit of a delay. To answer that's your question, okay. Uh, they're both incredible players, clearly. Uh, it, yeah, we, def, we definitely are. I don't know what's going on. Um, they're both great players, Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. They're both having unbelievable seasons. There's no question about that. Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult to not vote for Shohei Otani for MVP, however. And that's not a knock on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Any other year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would win MVP. He's leading the American League in batting, as we sit here today. He's leading the American League in home runs. He's leading the American League in runs. He's leading the American League in hits. He's leading the American League on base percentage and slugging and OPS. He's having an unbelievable season. And the only reason why he's not going to win MVP is because there's a guy in Los Angeles that is doing something that literally has never been done before in the history of baseball. And I don't think we could underestimate what that means. This is something that we thought was impossible, which is to be a great hitter and a great pitcher. At the same time, it did not seem like a thing that could be done in this sport. And Shohei Otani is doing it. And for that reason, he is my pick for MVP. Uh, and it's really just uh, it's an inc- it's just an incredible testament to Otani and the amazing thing he's, he's doing. Not anything that's a negative on Guerrero, who clearly is a superstar and is having an unbelievable year. Jared, how much has Otani really impressed you this year? And would you name two or three teams that can stop the Dodgers from repeating as World Series champions? No one in any lifetime has seen anyone like Shohei Otani. And and again, that's why I think he's going to win MVP, because it is truly unprecedented. And it's very rare in baseball for something to be truly unprecedented. Look, right now, if I'm the Dodgers, I really want to win that division because I don't think anybody wants to play the Cardinals in a wild card game right now the way their Cardinals are, are, are playing. A team looks like they're never going to lose again. But look, the Dodgers are amazing, but San Francisco has run with them all season long. The Giants have been ahead of the Dodgers all year, and I didn't see it coming. Nobody did. I think we all expected the Dodgers to eventually surge past the Giants, but the Giants have continued to thrive. So I think we just have to accept that the Giants are really, really great. Uh, So therefore, there's no reason why they can't go out and beat the Dodgers. I kind of hope we get that playoff series. I think everybody would want to see it. It sort of feels like the premier match of this season. A question every fan wants to know. Right around Halloween, a World Series champion will be crowned this year. Which team will that be, and why? I believe, besides my Red Sox, the White Sox are strong because 
I know they have Liam Hendricks, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, and they got a great pitching staff like their reliever pitcher, um, Liam Hendricks. Yeah, uh, Joseph was really impressed with them during the Field of Dreams game in Iowa. I mean, uh, Abreu, those guys are just monsters at the plate, and they could be really, really good. Uh, you may see them in the World Series. What do you, what do you think, Jared? Interesting question. Um, let's let me preface this by saying I'm not necessarily good at predictions, and predicting baseball is very, very challenging. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make sort of a bold pick here. I'm gonna make a bold pick. Everyone, everyone that could expect me to say San Francisco or Los Angeles, maybe Tampa Bay. I'm gonna make a bold pick, and I think the World Series champion is gonna be the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm gonna tell you why. Uh, Granted, I say that at a time where they're playing very, very poorly. As we record this, I think they've lost five games in a row. Nonetheless, here's what I like about the Brewers. They have incredible starting pitching that in a postseason series makes them very, very dangerous. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. Three, as far as I'm concerned, three aces. Guys that maybe not every uh, baseball fan knows, but I think by the end of this postseason, everyone is going to know them. They are incredibly dangerous with those three starters. They're going to be able to give opposing teams a steady diet of them all postseason long. Uh, I think everyone's sort of sleeping on them. I, I really like the Brewers, and uh, they're sort of my stealthy, uh, my stealthy pick to, to win it all. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with the Wall Street Journal. I apologize. There were a couple of little uh, delay errors uh, with our software. So thanks for sticking with us. Joseph, did you have a good time? Yeah, I did. So we're going to pitch us a question now, which is our mailbag. We had more participants than ever um, for this one uh, with the anticipation of the Major League Baseball playoffs getting ready to start. And our winner is Paul. Tramado. And his question is, let me bring it up here on my phone. Do you think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can stay healthy and top his dad's career statistics, be part of the 500 home run club and also part of the 3000 hit club? And if so, will it be all for the same team? So let me give you a little bit of statistics on Vlad's father, uh, Joseph. His dad, Vlad Sr., had 2,590 hits. Boy, I wish he played a little bit longer to get to 3,000. He also had 449 career home runs, and he bat 318 for his career. He was a nine-time All-Star and played for 16 years. Cal Ripken Jr. said that his dad was one of the best bad ball hitters he had ever seen. He... Used the bat with no gloves. He was famous for having all that pine tar right on the front of his helmet. It even covered the logo of the team he played for. And he was just a monster at the plate. Apparently, he grew up on a farm and his hands became very strong, helping to pull cows and cattle in with the rope uh, into the barn. And uh, he was just a tremendous hitter. He once hit a baseball that was thrown, a curveball, that bounced in front of home plate and then jumped up. And he still hit the ball. Um, 
Let me go ahead and get your opinion first, Joe. So on the first part is, do you think that Vlad Jr., and now his second year, if he stays healthy, could beat his dad's stats? And do you think he'll end up playing for one baseball team his whole career, uh, which isn't very common nowadays? Um, I'd say he's going to beat his dad. And I'd say um, he um, is not going to stay on the same team. Okay, so you do think he'll beat his dad. Well, I'll tell you what. In his second year as a player, he's already chasing the Triple Crown. What is he leading home runs and batting average, and he's about 10 away on uh, um, RBIs. RBIs. So, my gosh, fast forward three, four, five, six, seven years, if he stays healthy, I, I definitely think that this kid is destined for greatness and can get to 3,000 hits and 500 home runs. Why? Why wouldn't he? As far as staying with the same team, you know, normally I would say no, but I, I I forgot the fact that he was actually born in Canada. So I would think that Toronto trying to compete with the Red Sox and the Yankees of the AL East, they're going to do everything in their power to keep Canadian-born uh, Vlad Jr. Uh, in uh, Toronto. So I'll say that he does play his whole career uh, for them. And Paul, this was an excellent question, uh, went in perfectly with what we were talking about as far as a preview of the upcoming postseason. He's had a tremendous year, um, only second to Shohei Otani, and, and in some eyes, maybe even the best uh, year uh, possible. But you definitely won your choice of, what were the choices, Joe? Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Derek Jeter. So by Paul Jenis. Excellent artist with tops, game within the game. Uh, you can choose between the captain, number two, uh, or the possible Triple Crown winner, uh, Vlad Jr. Um, text me your address or send me a message. And congratulations, Paul. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to Sliders and Curveballs podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Joseph, as usual, I always have a great time with you. Uh, you bring a great energy to the show, and, and I love you, Joe. Love you too. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.